The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live and Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and you can see that our wonderful guest today, as always on Ask Dr. Doreen, is Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. I'm so excited to be here with her. She's going to be answering your questions live for the next hour. I want to remind all of you that this show is meant to be interactive. We are live right now on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, and about eight other sites that Traven is going to begin to show you. We want to hear from you. If you're on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, you can just interact with us on those platforms and it shows up here in real time. So give a shout. Tell us where you are. I love geographically. Look, there's Renee and Elvira. Hello to you as well. Uh, and thank you for including me in the beautiful ladies. Dr. Grandpichet looks fabulous. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Thank you. I look, I look, I, my hair gets bushy. I look like Mrs. Claus on vacation. Uh, it's all good. Carolina is, Carolina is not from Carolina. Carolina is writing in from Texas. I love that. Uh, so we love hearing your questions, your thoughts, your concerns, whatever you got this morning, but especially if you give us a shout out, tell us where you're at. We, I love that. Um, Dr. Grampuche is going to answer your questions in just a minute. want to remind everybody that she's a true expert in the field of autism, having worked in this field shockingly for more than 40 years. Yeah. It's not believable. It's not believable. You were in diapers when you were treating? I don't know. Uh, but really 40 years in this field and what, you know, there's so many things to love about her, but one of the things at the top of the list for me is that she sees individuals as that individuals and talks about what each individual needs and that each individual has their own biochemical thing going on and they're living within a family and that all of those things affect that individual. So we love that about her. So please take the opportunity to write in and pick her brain about whatever is going on with you or someone that you love. And I love somebody's writing in that you you won one of the free tickets to the Taka conference. I love that. I love that. If you missed out on those free tickets, make sure you register soon to go to that in October. Thank you so much for those of you who uh, wrote in and won. I uh, also want to say that uh, this morning as we start the show, we want to share our love uh, for two people that we've lost recently. One that I didn't realize that we lost who were big supporters in the autism community. Yesterday, Willie Garson, we, we heard, lost his battle with cancer. And this is particularly sad. Young, young man. You guys probably know him best from Sex and the City. Uh, hilarious, hilarious actor. And... What a great supporter of the autism community. We had the opportunity to interview him several times at the Ed Asner Poker Tournament. He was always there supporting for autism. So we send our love and our condolences out to Willie's family. We're so sorry to hear. He's 57 years old. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Tragic. And, and a great guy. And the other person that we lost in March, but I didn't realize it, when we were watching the Emmys the other night and was so excited to see Jean Smart win. I had said early in the season, what are they going to do? They have to nominate her twice. And of course she was nominated twice, but she won for Hacks. If you haven't seen Hacks or Mayor of Easttown, 
please stop what you're doing and go watch those two things. She's amazing. But when she got up, Dr. Grant Pichet, I was so excited for her because she's one of the nicest people in the world, also a big supporter of autism. We've interviewed her at least a couple of times. She's attended um, the Denim and Diamonds for ACT Today and been a big supporter. But her husband was also a big supporter. And she got up to win. And I was like, where's her husband? Where?" Because one of the nicest guys on the face of the planet, Richard Gilliland. And I was so shocked when the first thing that she said was, I have to acknowledge the fact that we lost my husband in March. And most, he was a wonderful actor in his own right. You guys probably know him. He was on every single show in the eighties and the nineties, but he was a regular character on 30 something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just one of those people that you just, you see all the time and you go amazing. So what a great couple they were and they were true supporters of the autism community. So just sending our love to Jean Smart, so deserving to win that award, but I can't imagine because they were one of those Hollywood couples that you read about that they're really nice people, really committed to each other, been together a long time. So sorry to hear of his passing. So our love to, to Jean and her whole family. Uh, I'm saying a quick hello to Jason and who wants to talk about anxiety and Michael. Uh, and Michael's coming to us from Philadelphia. Son is nine years old and wants to talk about stem cell treatment. So we're going to get to those questions in just a minute. I do want to remind everybody that Dr. Graham Pichet is a true expert in the field of autism, but there is no one who can give individual specific advice in this format. So you'll write in your question, be as specific as possible. We'll answer as many questions as we can. I apologize that we won't get to all of them. Um, but be as specific as possible. Understand that she can't give you individual specific advice. It would be a disservice to the individual. We leave that up to the experts who have actual eyes on the situation. But in the meantime, uh, she can really help you to understand more of what's going on. So I did want to start today with a question that came in. Um, we weren't live last week and it, and it came in right before that. I hope that this uh, person is watching or that they get an opportunity to see the, the podcast because uh, this one is devastating, Dr. Grant Pichet. My nine-year-old son who has ASD and DMDD has been out of control for the last three weeks. We lost my husband, his dad, an absolute favorite person to a motorcycle accident exactly four months ago. Mm-hmm. And my son's grief has been beyond words. Between us, his psychiatrist and I trying to keep him from falling into a scary depression and him acting up, I think we may have messed up his meds and given him mania. He became hyper aggressive in the last two weeks and extremely difficult to handle. I am devastated that it had to come to this. I cried like a baby, prayed to my husband to help me to get through this since I have two more little ones at home and prayed to God to heal my sweet boy's heart. Um, They there's some place in here where I might've missed it, where she talks about that the police have had to come. Uh, she says seeing him be restrained and taken was one of the hardest things I've ever had to experience. This is a nine year old, you guys, besides the, the trauma of my husband's death, I am feeling guilty, sad, and ashamed. And she clarifies of myself and my parenting, not him. She feels lonely and absolutely desperate for a solution. I'm not really sure what I came here for, but I just know how terrible it is now to have uh, your baby put into inpatient care at a psychiatric uh, facility. This is heartbreaking. Yeah. So first of all, hugs. But Dr. Grampichet, I wanted to make sure we got that question in. Do you have any resolution? Yeah, sure, of course. And, and, and let me just first say hello to everyone. Hi and uh, welcome. And uh Sorry that we have to start out with such a devastating uh, email and question, but truth is uh, sometimes the stuff that we experience and sometimes the, the, what, what you experience as a family dealing with ASD, um, it can be traumatic and heartbreaking. And so let's talk about this a little bit. So I hope this person is listening or will come back and listen to the show, will hear my comments. The very first thing I would ask of you is to get in touch with us. Give us your information because um, I know you're very worried about your son. And that, of course, makes sense. I'm very worried about you. 
and um, I want to make sure that you have support and help. And, you know, what you've gone through and what your son has gone through, and this is unfortunately a lot of times, Sharon, we forget about ourselves when something happens for our children, right? And it's always the first thing. And so for me, it's just a horrible, horrible thing that has happened for all of you in the family. And it's a, a trauma. And you are all uh, going to experience post-traumatic stress and all the things that go with having had a trauma. Now, a lot of times people don't realize trauma is not just sadness. Um, trauma is a shock to the physical being. It is such a significant shock to you mentally and physically. I'm sure when uh, any of our viewers, if you've experienced something traumatic, you know what I'm talking about here. Um, you know, you don't, you you hardly feel your own body when, when you go through something this devastating. And the bottom line is that process, when you're going through the trauma, it has a lot of ongoing mental repercussions, physical and mental repercussions for a long time until uh, things settle down and you get support and help. Um, it's a, it's a shock to your system. So Let's talk about some of the things you should be doing. And I would say the very first step is to take care of yourself so that you can be there and take care of your children. Um, we, I, I know your instinct is to go the other way around. Your instinct is to forget about yourself and to try to reach out and take care of your children. But it's got to be the other way, honestly. Um, and the fact that you're son was taken in restraints and all of this. I, I know it's another trauma on top of the prior thing that you experienced, but he's not going to be hurt in that setting. And, uh, you know, you and he both, everybody needs help, right? So what has to happen here is that you get family members involved, friends involved, um, if you're not already seeing a therapist, you need to see a therapist. If you're not already uh, talking to a psychiatrist, you should be talking to a psychiatrist. These are the times where we need the help of medication, um, whether it is an antidepressant or uh, some other type of medication that will help you when you're experiencing rushes of anxiety. Um, and the same thing for your son quite honestly. I don't know what medications he's on, obviously. It is possible that he would have been on ADHD meds, for instance, or something where if you give him too much, he will develop mania. But having said that, a lot of times with our kids, because they can't really express themselves. And I was just um, reading about a child who is on the spectrum and uh, you know, whenever she goes to a specific location, um, it triggers memories of her mother and she will ask about her mother who passed away. And it's just that particular location. And then she will start to cry. So sometimes our kids don't have the ability to have an, have an understanding of things like, you know, uh, dad is gone. Um, it was a horrible accident, but life has to go on. Um, and they just continue to struggle with that. And so it is really, really important that as they're coming to terms with it, as, as they're coming to understand the ups and downs of life, or as they're even coming to adjust to the new life they have, that you help them with some form of medical help. And it's, there's no, I know that a lot of parents are like, I don't want to medicate my child. Don't think of it that way. It's like, band-aid you know it's like when your child has a boo-boo you put a band-aid on it until it heals and we don't think about the fact that our minds our mental health sometimes is so traumatized that it needs a band-aid to to help heal and then you can gradually start to kind of understand or cope with the grief and the tragedy that you've experienced so i guess I want to just say that, you know, please pay attention to your own needs. You should have no guilt, no shame about you as a parent 
those are always natural feelings that come when we are when we see our children traumatized let me tell you my children are all adults and to this day when something happens in their lives i i will go back and think maybe i was too whatever when they were growing up so we always blame ourselves as parents and we always feel somehow bad about it because we can't take the pain away from our kids, right? But this is just a horrible thing and you're all going to need a lot of love, a lot of support and caring. So blame and shame and guilt has just no place in this. Um, you know, get people around you that can give you love, can give him love, um, get some professional help. And, and, you know, we're all praying and hoping for you and this will pass. Absolutely. Parker has written in and said, grief is the worst thing you can deal with. Honestly. I lost my father at 12 years old. I just feel bad for this family. There are grief resources out there like camps and the like. And Parker, I'm wondering if you, if there was a camp that was helpful to you, will you write in and tell us what camp so that we can uh, let this family know? And Dr. Grabiche mentioned, please get in contact with us directly. When you guys write in on the, um, the chat feature on our website, unless you give us an email, we have no way of getting back to you. It doesn't register your IP address. I can't, I can't recontact you. So please feel free to write us at autismlive at gmail.com, or you can send it directly to me, s.penrod at autism-live.com. Traven is putting those up on the screen for you. Okay. we uh, So at, as I mentioned at the start of the show, we had uh, Jason who wrote it and said, what do you recommend for anxiety-related disorders, Dr. Grampichet? Yeah, so Jason, you know, while I'm answering that, I'd love to know if you are, if, if anxiety is a comorbid issue or it's just purely you're asking about anxiety. In other words, are we talking about someone who has ASD and anxiety or are we talking about just anxiety? Um, the reason I ask is that ASD tends to complicate make things a little bit more complicated, right? Because then I need to know kind of the level of understanding and processing and functioning of the individual who also has anxiety. Having said that, it is really common for people on the spectrum to experience anxiety. And it, per it makes total sense. I've actually, Shannon, we have several um, shows in the past and recordings and, and talks I've given about this subject because I feel very strongly that some of the things that we see in autism is actually just like symptoms of anxiety. And I'll, I'll give you some examples of some of the things that might cause the anxiety. Um, and basically then if you can try to deal with those things, they will definitely help. Now, as I said, as I was answering the question before, there's also professional help for anxiety, right? You can get on antidepressants. Anxiety and depression have the same exact medication. There are some medications that are meant for acute anxiety, like panic attacks, and those types of things are, you know, will help temporarily. But long-term medication like uh, serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors (SSRIs) or SNRIs. These are all for depression and anxiety. They help both. Now, um, it really does work. And thank you. I just saw Parker's comment that, uh, Parker, I appreciate that. I'm so glad you did that. And that's just awesome that it's working for you. And I gotta say, it's it takes the edge off, right? And it just really helps. Medication does help. But you wanna also make sure you're trying to figure out what's causing the ongoing anxiety. Sometimes it's just trauma, right? Like we just talked about, it's something that has happened and now you kind of like, your whole mental health has shifted and you sort of need to work on that. Sometimes it's just ongoing stress. A lot of times, a lot of us like at work or we worry about our kids or work or some other thing and the same goes for our kids. They might be anxious about going to school because they might think that, you know, someone's going to make fun of me or I'm just not going to get it or whatever it is. And, and if that is the case, you need to help them 
figure out how to have support and strengths in that environment that's causing them anxiety. So for instance, if it's a child who's really worried about um, their, their, their ability to perform at school, let's help them. Let's give them tutoring at home that will help them become a stronger student. Or maybe you want to get some behavior technicians who will help the child know how to socialize better so that when they go to school, they're not experiencing the same level of social anxiety. Um, other causes of anxiety, especially on the spectrum, we're looking at things like sensory sensitivities, right? I mean, imagine if you were constantly being overloaded, your senses were being overloaded by too much light, too much sound. I don't know about you, but when I am exposed to a very chaotic, loud environment, and especially if I'm tired or had a long day, it will absolutely evoke anxiety in me. Um, and I kind of feel like I gotta run away and just isolate myself, right? So sensory input is a big one that causes anxiety for our kids. And I think giving them ways to calm themselves or regulate themselves, like uh, noise canceling headphones. A lot of times for our kids, we will set up in the corner of a room, a really giant bean bag with a noise canceling um, headphone and their favorite music there. And they can just, whenever they feel themselves getting all riled up, they'll go to that area, sit in the bean bag, put on their music, maybe look at a book, ways to calm down. Um, and, and that's a whole nother, you know, lecture on, there are so many things that we can teach our kids to do for relaxation and for self-regulation. And it really starts, Shannon, with just identifying that you're about to get anxious, I, figuring out what are the things that are making me anxious and how do I give myself more love right at that moment or in that setting or environment. That isn't true. That is not just for our kids on the spectrum, right? It's for all of us. If we could identify the situations and scenarios that make us really uncomfortable, um, and we just make sure that those situations have a higher reinforcement level, right? More people supporting us, more love, more uh, any kind of like, you know, tutoring or preparation, um, then we're going to make it through that. And, and the last thing I wanted to say that really contributes to anxiety is lack of sleep. Um, and a lot of our kids, of course, don't sleep. And a lot of us, parents, don't sleep. And it just, sleep is probably one of the most important things you can do for yourself and for your child, no matter what you do, um, to receive that sleep. It's the time when your body and your mind heal. And so if your child is struggling with sleep issues right into us, we can talk a lot more about sleep. But, you know, these are all the different things that you can do to try to kind of support your child or yourself, if, if it's you you're talking about here. Um, and anxiety is something that we are able to conquer. So, um, you know, if you do all of these things, things will get better for sure. I just want to say that last week, Dr. Grampiche and I participated in a global conference in Arizona through the Autism Society of America. I believe you can still get tickets to it because all of the presentations were recorded and you can watch them for a couple of months. And uh, Dr. Grant Pichet, um did a talk and I participated with her on the title of it was, What Am I Missing? And there were different parts of the talk where it talked about anxiety and where it talked about sleep and a whole bunch of other issues that maybe you hadn't thought about. And with each one, we gave a, a PowerPoint with resources. And for the anxiety one, some of the best resources that we have, Dr. Grampiche did a two-part series. We called it The Anxiety Show. You can find it on YouTube. I particularly, um, if you can't watch both hours, watch part two. Because in part one, she gives you the whole history of the diagnosis and what autism has to do with anxiety. But in part two, she really gets, she kind of recaps that very quickly and then gets into all the different things that she just talked about and more. So um, both of those resources are available to you guys. Uh, I want to go back to, I want to say hello to a bunch of people like Chris and Robin and 
Van Morrison. We're gonna we're gonna get to your questions here in just a second. We hope. Um, but at the start of the hour, Michael wanted to know. He's from Philadelphia with a nine-year-old son. He wants to know your thoughts on stem cell treatment. Right. That was a great question, Michael. And, you know, there are more and more developments nowadays for use of stem cell um, in, across all different types of illnesses, but unfortunately, we're not quite there yet with autism. Um, it is something that I think you would have to go outside of the U.S. to try to investigate a little bit more. I'm not, I, personally, I'm not ready to recommend stem cell treatment at this point, for autism and that's only because you know as we don't even know what truly causes asd in every single individual um we do know that asd is to some extent related to uh the you know the genetic component of asd let's say asd has both a genetic predisposition as well as kind of an environmental trigger that works with that genetic uh, component. And what we do know is that, you know, the genetic component has something to do with the ability to detoxify rapidly enough, as we all do, redox cycle. And we also know that there are tons of toxins in our environment, right? So too many that I, I can't even name anymore. There was a time where we would be able to identify and say, oh yeah, we're just talking about plastics or we're just talking about, you know, antibiotics or, we, or, or we're talking about pesticides or whatever it is. But it is, there's a lot of toxicity in our environment. And sometimes it's just very hard to uh, be able to uh, put your finger on exactly what is the trigger for each individual. Until you can do that, you can't really be messing too much with stem cell treatment. Now, that being said, one of the things I recently read, Shannon, which is kind of exciting and I'm interested in learning more, is that, you know, we are, there's also a lot of research now after um, having used messenger RNA for, for COVID, uh, which I, you know, we, it's referred to as a COVID vaccine, but I just don't, I can't see how messenger RNA would be called a vaccine. It's not really a vaccine. Um, but it's interesting because now the same kind of procedures are being used to look at things like cancer and other types of health issues. And I'm hoping that very soon that whole direction, in fact, it just makes sense to me that enti that entire uh, process of using messenger RNA will contribute in the future to, to the treatment of things like redox and, and how it's affecting our brain. And I will say um, for our viewers, you know, a lot of times, and Shannon, you know this, we hear the same things and it's 20 years later or 30 years later, right? And it's uh, parents who are now experiencing it for the first time. Meanwhile, we've been hearing this for years and years and years, and it's just gotten a bit worse. So I, I'll tell our viewers that, you know, back in the, um, let's say, 90s or so, it was just the beginning of people realizing how toxic our environment has become. It was the very, very beginning. In fact, one of my patients who was very, very ill and lived in South Africa, um, we were trying to get him food that did not contain gluten. And it was almost impossible. It was literally almost impossible. You just, you couldn't find it. You could barely find like flour that you could, you know, almond flour or something so that we could uh, send it to South Africa so they could bake and so on. And now, you know, in the United States and many countries, you can go to any restaurant and say, I want the gluten-free version. And so the world has become a lot more, uh, it, the, this issue of something like gluten or um, you know, the toxicity that comes or the inability to digest from gluten has affected so many people, not just spectrum across the board, an inflammation of the gut, which was a major, major issue in autism back in the 80s, 90s, uh, early 2000s, um, is now so prevalent that it has become uh, something people are paying attention to and finally modifying 
in order for us to be able to survive, right? And so when you look at back in, in the 90s, there were very few uh, whole foods places, very few places you could get these things. And now it's just pretty common. I, in fact, I often say, you know, when we were growing up or even in the 90s, there was no, uh, there were no commercials on TV for probiotics or prebiotics, you know, and now everybody's struggling with some form of inflammation. So our, our unfortunately, and specifically, unfortunately for our, our kids on the spectrum, it's just harder and harder to live a healthy life and to not have to deal with inflammation, which then causes some of these other issues. I think it's really hard, though, sometimes knowing what treatments. And we have another question that came in. They want to know uh, your thoughts on the treatment of autism and other diseases with MMS chlorine dioxide. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my, my, my uh, uh, without going into a lot of detail, I find that to be very kind of dangerous. And it's not something that I would recommend at all. And, and there, it, you know, and I will also say for our viewers, there's been fads like that over the years for such a long time. It's unbelievable. Like, uh, you know, back in the uh, 80s, 80s, if you believe this, you guys, one of the treatments was to actually take your child in and have their entire blood changed because there was a you know, people were, and this is at reputable hospitals like UCLA and so on, because there was like this thought that, oh, maybe it has something to do with their blood. There's been so many different fads. I can't even, Shannon, you know, and I think that this one is also dangerous and uh, not something that should be tried. You got to be so careful, you guys. Uh, all right. I also want to say Chris has written into us and said that someone in North Carolina uh, says that they have jobs for hire and they want to know if it's legit. And I, and I just want to say, we don't know, uh, we're not aware of this person or, um, so you'll have to do some investigation, call the better business bureau, uh, ask some questions, but we're not aware of that individual, but thank you for bringing it to our attention. I'll do some research on it, but I have no idea. And thank you, Parker, for writing in and telling us that the camp that you went to no longer exists, but that you'll do some research for it. That is so sweet of you. Uh, okay. Uh, we did have somebody who wrote in, they are a skills client. I double checked with them. They want to know if there's any way that they can obtain one-on-one, -on -one, a personal assist for using the skills program for their 17 year old with high functioning, uh, autism Asperger daughter. I did yeah. not ask them though, if they're using skills living or using, um, skills, the, the younger version. Okay. Yeah, I, unfortunately, and I will say that, you know, during the COVID period and so on, one of the things that CARD as an organization decided to do was to discontinue the external resources, the resources that were being uh, uh, used for external skills users. Um, at one point, uh, until about, I'm not sure what month it was. It was sometime this year, a few months ago, actually. Um, Skills, the company, had its own entire uh, organization. And basically, they had people who would get on the phone with you and help you uh, get through all the challenges of Skills and understand how to use it. But unfortunately, uh, Card, who owns Skills, uh, had to uh, dismantle that team uh, temporarily. Um, so right now, if you are a, if you were an existing skills user, you still have access to skills. Obviously, unfortunately, you don't have access to uh, folks who can guide you through it. Now, having said that, Shannon and I are happy to guide you where we can with um, whatever issues or questions you can you have with skills. It's a pretty straightforward. Uh, system. Don't let it overwhelm you. I know I put too much into it when I built it. Honestly, I wish I had made it a little easier to comprehend. And it just, it's like an encyclopedia, right? And I wish I had turned, I, instead of building an encyclopedia, I had built, you know, a hundred smaller catalogs. That would have been easier. 
And I, and I love you and I hate to disagree with you, but I always disagree with you on this. I think you're wrong. I think, I think that skills is wonderful and the idea that you can have access to all of it, it's, it's just like Disneyland. You, you're not gonna try to do it all in one day. You have to go back in and do what you wanna do and see what you wanna see. So I, I don't, I'm glad that you didn't winnow it down and, and, and make it so that we had to, you know, just do what we were told to do. It's, it's a big, big amusement park and you can spend a lot of time there or you can go in and go, I'm accomplishing one thing. Um, and, and for I love Shannon, you know, Shannon, you always refer to it as, um, uh, what is those, those, uh, you know, the direct moment. The directories yeah. that you have in a mall, right? Yeah. Your skills yeah. is, is um, totally easy to use and it is a lot, but the concept of it is very easy, which is just, you know, you, you basically will answer a lot of questions about your child. It will then identify everything your child is not able to do for his or her age. And then it links you to lessons to teach those specific skills. You do not have to do all of them. You can select the ones that are the more, most important to you or your child's current needs. Yeah, and I, I will just say, um, I love to geek out on skills. Like it's really one of those things, that's a pleasurable afternoon for me. So if you wanna reach out to me, Obviously, I'm not a clinician, but navigating skills, I can help you with. And then if you have a question, I can refer it back to Dr. Grant Fichet. So my email is s.penrod at autism-live.com. Uh, okay, Poker King says uh, that they're having a problem with their supervisor. Is it okay to go higher up? Uh, they say, I'm a little OCD and policies are not being communicated well. Uh, what advice do you have for Poker King? Yes, you should definitely go higher up. And this, and I, I assume you're referring to your child receiving services at card. No, and, no. I think oh. that I, this, uh, as far as I understand, Poker King, I think this is um, them talking about themselves at work. Oh, I see. I see. You definitely need to go further up, but you shouldn't go to your supervisor's supervisor. The way you deal with this is to go to your HR department, which is human resources. You go to a human resources person and you specifically tell them, this, these are the issues that I'm having and I need accommodations at work. It's very simple. And um, it's that way you kind of avoid the the deal you know like saying anything about your supervisor at all focus on yourself talk about what you need and most jobs are very very willing to make accommodations that make it easier for you and and i hope i was right about that and i didn't mean to interrupt you uh dr graham oh, but I, I think that's what the but but parker or excuse me poker king tell us if i'm wrong about that uh, Reswana says, I want to know about what does, right, Shannon, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt you now. Um, but I want to say something to Poker King as well. I just last summer, I did several talks for large companies that are trying to learn how to do accommodations for individuals who have slight issues, whether it's ASD, OCD, anxiety, depression, etc. There's a big movement now. Like I did a really big talk for Oracle and it's, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of employees. And there's a really big interest in, in that. So um, Poker King might even want to ask their HR department if they would like to have someone come in and, and or on Zoom do a training for their staff on this subject. Because I think it's always a good idea. It's not just about you. It's kind of a good idea to produce some sort of project at work or plan that helps educate everyone so that it kind of helps you, but it helps anyone who may follow you as well. Very cool. Uh, okay, so Reswana wants to know about the gluten-free, casein-free diet. What does it actually help with? Uh, vitamin D from sun and gut healing really matters on recovery from autism. Absolutely right. And so I'm gonna, for our viewers, just spend a few minutes talking about that because I think that's one of the most important things here may pertain to a lot of our viewers. 
So the concept with gluten and casein, and then there's also others, things like corn and soy and so on, was that back in, again, I think it would have been the 80s, there was a lot of research done and um, it actually, believe it or not, started in the field of autism because a lot of people were trying to figure out why children on the spectrum of autism were having so much gastrointestinal distress. Um, there were so many young children who were having like bouts of diarrhea and constipation and it was just, it, it, it was too common to have, have some sort of gastrointestinal issue and autism. So some parents, always the parents, um, started to research this and discovered that, yeah, there's a tremendous amount of inflammation these children are experiencing, in particular when they ingest certain types of foods, when they eat gluten foods, so gluten being the protein in grains like wheat, and or casein, which is the protein in dairy in milk, for instance. So when you uh, were eating those, when the child was eating those types of things, what was happening was that the, when we eat a protein, any kind of protein, we break the protein up from protein state to peptide, which is kind of chains of amino acids, and then more into amino acids, individual amino acids, which then kind of go throughout your body and give you nutrition and and uh, you know, go to your help your brain functioning and your hormones and all of your body depends on the on, on receiving that nutrition. With these two particular types of proteins, um, the children were not able to digest them completely. And what was happening was that they would, in the gut, break them down to peptide level, which was these chains of amino acids but not all the way down to amino acids. So now we have like these chains and these chains were beginning to leak through the gut. There's a, there's a, a barrier between the gut and the bloodstream and these chains, these peptide chains were leaking through the gut. And that's when the term leaky gut started, right? Now, what made it worse was that these peptide chains, when they leaked through the gut, and into the bloodstream and circulated and reached the brain, they mimicked and they resembled endorphins like that we produce ourselves. And so they made the child feel kind of loopy and a little bit out of it, kind of like, you know, endorphins when you feel sort of giddy or happy or, uh, you know, a little high or those types of things. And that was the feeling that eating these foods directly produced, right? And hopefully that kind of made sense there. And so parents started removing those particular things from their children's diets and saw, oh my God, the child is completely awake. Now, and the inflammation in the gut is gone. So now they're no longer getting like diarrhea and constipation and so on, but, and, and their mind is awake and now they can learn faster. And so this became a very common um, diet. And uh, after a while, it became a very uh, common knowledge that, you know, 80% of children with autism had some sort of reaction at that time to gluten or casein that has increased now. As I said, it's not just children on the spectrum. It's many, many, many of us. Some of our viewers might feel like it applies to them, what I'm saying. And it went beyond gluten and casein, and it became also soy and corn. And nowadays, of course, people have reactions to all sorts of stuff because so much of our food is actually not real food, and it is genetically modified food. And so that's a whole different reason that we have inflammation and all these um, issues. So yeah, I do recommend that you see a doctor get a blood test and a stool test and be able to see if your child ha is struggling from inflammation um, and what particular items in their diet are causing that. And I just want to put my two cents in. Those of you who watch the show know that my, my son was diagnosed at, at the age of two and a half and he's now 18. And um, 
you know, in that early stage where you're just looking, looking, looking for answers and waiting to get services started, some, I, I was just desperate and said to people, you know, what can I be doing now? I feel like I've, I've, you know, tuned into this whole new world and I'm waiting in all these lines. And someone said, oh, well, you know, there is this gluten-free, casein-free. Actually, she didn't. She said there's a gluten-free. And I, I didn't even know what gluten was because I'm somebody who has a wheat intolerance. So I didn't even know what gluten was because my life was devoid of it. And I said, what is that? And when she said, oh, it's a protein in wheat, I, I was like, oh, is it uh, like I have a problem with that? Does, is it possible he does too? And um, so we started the gluten-free diet. And then I think it was a week or two later, we took him off of casein as well. And it was such a big change for us. I always say to people, it is not a big change for everyone, but for those people that it is a big change, often it is ginormous. And my son is 18 and he's still gluten-free and casein-free and I'm gluten-free and casein-free. And I love that over the years when we had behavior technicians who were working with our son, every once in a while, they'd be like, well, I wanna know more about this gluten-free, casein-free thing. And there was one April when two of our, our therapists decided that they were going to go gluten-free, casein-free in solidarity with my son. And in both cases, one just said, man, I feel better. I just feel oh, like yeah. a fog has been lifted. But the other one found out that they had celiac and, and to this day will Facebook me and say, that changed my life. My health is so much better as a result. So I always say to people, you know, now it's not hard try it, but you got to be willing to try it for a while. And you got the people who say, well, I tried the gluten-free casein, you know, but we would have toast on Thursdays. <laughs> that's not trying, you, you know, that's, that's funny, but you have to do it and you have to commit to it and you got to do it. I would yeah. say for at least six months to see, but many of us saw a big change. I think it was seven days and I saw a big change in our son that language started coming back after seven days of not having gluten and tantrums diminished greatly after just a few days of not having milk. So yeah. um, uh, they're saying that audio is broken up. Is that for both of us? Um, and you can easily, all of our shows podcast, by the way, um, and if you go to our YouTube channel, you can get a free transcript of any of our shows. You just hit the transcription button and it will, will give it to you. Um, so wonderful. I want to get to this question that came in last night. I think my, my five-year-old son may be on the spectrum. He takes things very literally, and this leads to frustration. He is highly sensitive to loud situations. Uh, he found a recent trip to a stadium sports match really overwhelming if we shout, he can't handle it and reacts violently back. He focuses obsessively on things like coloring, but it does calm him down. Uh, but while he is shy and awkward with adults, unless he knows them well and trusts them, he's actually very popular with his peer group and loves socializing with other children. He can also be beautifully affectionate with us on a good day and can hold eye contact very well. In fact, he loves looking in our eyes, but would barely look at an adult he doesn't know. Does this fit with autism? And thank you so much. Well, I love those questions. It's like solving a puzzle here. And I don't know that I got all of it written down, but I have a lot of thoughts to share with you. Hopefully okay. I'll help. So, um, as I was, I was initially starting to write down various things like, you know, gets very frustrated because he's very literal. Um, he is kind of a perfectionist about the way he colors and I'm just jotting notes for myself and thinking, you know, these could be signs of like anxiety or OCD as well and so on. And, you know, then you said that he really reacts to loud noises and that, you know, sensitivity of of noise is one that is very common in autism and not necessarily pertaining to all these other areas or, or issues. But then you said that he's really great with peers and not necessarily with us. So then that took my mind completely somewhere else, <laughs> which is um, perhaps he has learned to communicate with you with meltdowns. Um, and it is possible that 
because you know peers are usually louder than adults right so there's there's and they're more unpredictable as well so if sound sensitivity is an issue for him then i would want to know more about why it's not an issue in school or with his peers because that would be an environment that would seem to evoke that sound sensitivity a little bit more right so that's one question um if the case is that it really is more just limited to his time with you then i think i would start thinking how else can i react when he has a frustration or a tantrum or all that sort of stuff and can i uh, kind of let walk away when he's frustrated and come back and try to only attend when he tells me he's frustrated calmly. In other words, kind of one of the things we do with our kids, but you know, is a common inter behavioral intervention that you do across the board, no matter what the, off the spectrum, just children growing up is what do we say to them? Use your words. And it's kind of because they're tantruming and screaming and they've lost all regulation and stuff. And what you're trying to teach them is to calm down and express to you vocally, verbally, what's bothering them. And I think that's one of the things that you might need to focus on. Now, yes, people who are a little bit on the perfectionist side um, or a little bit obsessive about how things should be, like you mentioned, his coloring has to be perfect will get annoyed more because the world is imperfect. And so, you know, if it's a child who's kind of like, doesn't mind sloppiness and it just doesn't bother them, they're not gonna get frustrated from that. But if it is a child who really wants things to be within the borders and perfect colors and stuff like that, yeah, they're gonna be a little bit more uh, annoyed by imperfection. And they will have the tendency to express that annoyance by tantruming or, uh, you know, having having some sort of uh, challenging uh, reaction. Um, it is up to you to not accept that challenging reaction as a communication, and to instead help the child vocalize themselves and say something like, "Oh, it really annoys me when it's outside the lines." something like that so that that replaces their their the, the way they express their frustration i do want to say all the things you expressed individually might also be seen in asd but they're not sufficient for an asd diagnosis um, an asd diagnosis does not just have to do with you know sound sensitivity or tantrums in fact uh, sound sensitivity is one symptom that exists in the second domain of autism. Uh, you know, challenging behaviors are not at all listed as symptoms of individuals on the, on the spectrum. The only reason our kids, a lot of our kids have um, challenging behaviors and frustration is because they're frustrated, because they can't otherwise communicate. So unless your child has language communication delays or issues um, and unless they also have some what we call stereotypical behaviors which are kind of like random rote stereotypical repetitive behaviors um, and unless they have social delays as a result mostly of the communication delays you're not going to be on the autism spectrum okay I want to squeeze this last one, I think, in uh, our six-year-old grandson who has autism and is nonverbal has run out of the house naked twice in the last mm. week and was found in a retail store parking lot. Police were involved both times. They live in a city, and I'm wor worried that DCFS may get called. Does anyone have any inside advice so we can try and help the situation? And thank you so much. This is really hard. Send in hugs. Yes. It's very, very hard. And I want to start with saying, yes, you can, any child can be taught safety skills, but before we even go there, we need to prevent the running away. It's extremely dangerous. So, and it's not enough to assume that you will always remember and that everyone who comes into the house will remember to lock the doors. It's just not going to happen. There are too many times where 
parents and grandparents have had the absolute best of intentions, but someone will walk into the house and they'll forget. And this happens. And our kids are very clever and they will figure out how to unlock and so on. So I really, really urge you, and if you write in um, to Shannon and give us your information, we can actually even help fund this for you and, and send from ACT, we can, we can purchase one and send it to you. These are alarm, little uh, boxes that are attached to the door where if the door opens, it will set off an alarm. Now that has two um, results. One is that most children dislike the sound of that alarm so they will learn to stop running away. Just very simple. The second is that if they do actually open the door, you'll know about it right away. It'll never be a situation where they can actually go through the door and nobody knows. So that is super, super important to do. Once you've done that, then it becomes a matter of teaching the child um, th unsafe things that can happen outside the house. Um, and that is also something that will take a little bit of time because uh, obviously you're going to need some behavior therapy uh, to teach the child danger. And it doesn't sound like your child, the child understands the concept of danger. It also doesn't sound like he has a, a good understanding of getting dressed because he's running out there naked. And so, uh, you know, there will be a need for behavior technicians also to teach him how to always be dressed when he goes outside and not allow him to leave the house naked. Um, two other thoughts I have that I quickly want to share with you. One is that a lot of our kids get naked and run out naked because they have sensory sensitivity to uh, uh, cloth or anything on their skin. I forget the name of the brand, but there are a few brands of clothing um, that are specifically designed for individuals on the spectrum where the child cannot take the clothing off without help. And that is something you might want to consider um, if you're unable to watch the child. And this, the last thought I had is that um, you might want to have your, the police department get in touch with an ABA provider. I know CARD does this. I'm sure many others do. I don't know where you are, but um, there's often training that we do for first responders, such as police. And this is super important because you know, the police and fire and so on, they all have good intentions, but they don't know how to manage or communicate with a child with autism. And it is so important. Too many tragedies have happened because a police officer has called out to a child on the spectrum and instead of responding, they've run away. So, you know, make sure that your police department, if they're getting involved, they know your child and they know how to handle autism. Okay. Patricia's written in, I want to address, I want to come back to this, but really quickly, Patricia's written in and said, could you please tell what non-drug therapeutic alternatives you suggest for a six-year-old boy with early infantile autism and attention deficit hyperactive disorder? Can I just say ABA? Yeah. Uh, and then watch everything that we say here about ABA, Patricia. Because uh, we talk about you want really good quality intensive ABA, but that's exactly what you want. Applied behavior analysis. That's but I want to go back to the other because uh, we're out of time here. But a couple of quick things um, that Dr. Grampy Shea mentioned. Um, we know that the number one cause of death for individuals on the autism spectrum is through drowning due to elopement, which is what your child, your grandson did. The second is uh, being hit by a car while eloping. So everything that Dr. Grampiche said, super duper important that the first thing you do is get that help to secure the perimeter um, and be aware if the child has gotten out of the perimeter within seconds because it's a life and death issue. So you can go to, she talked about ACT. ACT um, ha, you know, has a limited number of grants available. If you're needing help, go to um, act-today.org. Uh, and you can find out more about that, or you can write directly to me at s.penrod at autism-live.com. Don't wait. That's some serious stuff. But for Patricia, please, 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 
uh, look up ABA. Dr. Grabuchet mentioned CARD, which is the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. If you are needing good quality ABA services or if you wanted to reach out um, because your police department, you would like for them to be trained, you can go to centerforautism.com. I think I might've covered everything that there was there that you brought up. So I want to take just a second. Thank Dr. Grand Pichet for being here and answering everybody's questions. I apologize for the ones that we didn't get to. We're back next week. And in fact, next week, you're not going to want to miss the show. It's kind of a big show. We have a big announcement next, next Wednesday. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. There's something big in the works. So we will see you guys then. Until then, thank you, Dr. Grampichet. Thank and you, everybody, Kevin. Thanks, everyone. And everybody watching, please give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for now. Bye. -bye. Bye.